All right, tonight we're in our series again, Jesus Is. I, I've really enjoyed teaching this, and I've received a lot, learned a lot as I've pressed in uh, to this series of teaching. The first night we talked about Jesus is the Christ. He's our prophet, our priest, and king. The second night, or the second Wednesday, we taught that Jesus is the God-man and why He became flesh. The third night, or last Wednesday night, we taught Jesus is our shepherd. And I don't know, for us as believers, most of you knew everything that, that I shared with you over, over the last few weeks. Maybe some didn't. But I think tonight might be possibly one of the most important that we need to pay attention to, especially in the hour that we're in. And it's just simply this, Jesus is a friend to sinners. And I want you to go into the Word with me tonight because I believe with all my heart that revival is in the land. I know I heard last night all the great meetings that were, are taking a place and so excited about them. And I'm real reluctant. I'm, you've heard me. I've been very honest. I'm real reluctant to tag anything from a good service and say this is revival. Because I think we can have a good service and not be anywhere in the plan of God. It's just a good service. We enjoyed our time. We're, we're having God's moving. Things are happening. But I really believe that this end time revival, and I can't get away from it, I still see it, is all about the harvest. And we have to start thinking about the harvest. Uh, most of the great meetings I've gone to, and you have, they're having great meetings but very little harvest. Things are happening, not taking anything away, so please don't be offended. And if people are watching me, I, I'm being real. We're running the aisles, we're filling the rooms with, with people that already know the Lord, but very few people are coming to know the Lord unless there is an absolute intent, that's who we're after. And if it's there, my friends in Springfield, Missouri, uh, this past week, done a weekend uh, on training of soul winning. Winning one. So they went through this course. They were taught. Then they went practicing same day. They went out. I don't know exactly how they did it. I know the report they gave was they prayed for over 100, maybe 150 to 160 different people. Out of that, 84 people gave their heart to Jesus. Wow, that's amazing. That was their intent for that to happen. Yet at the same time, they're a passionate people for that, you know, for that glory and that move of God to fill the house. I keep seeing in my spirit the great harvest coming in. I, I see it lined up, and I don't think there's enough buildings. I don't think there's enough churches. I don't think there's enough tents to put everybody in. And if we're in the end time, and Jesus is coming to take his church away, there's one thing that I believe that stands between us in the rapture isn't all the stuff that's happening in politics. I believe it. There's a body of people that doesn't know him yet, and he's not satisfied to take the church out until everyone that will follow him is born again. I believe that with all my heart. So I want you to pay close attention tonight. We're going to start in the book of Matthew chapter 7. I think that's where I want to go. Yes, Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to stay close to my notes tonight. Matthew chapter 7. That's the wrong chapter. I think it's Luke. Let me look. Wrong book. Yes, it's Luke chapter Seven, Yeah, that's it. The book of Luke, chapter 7. It's a crazy book. It's a great book, but that's just my word. Chapter, chapter 7 starts out, that was the, the story of Jesus healing the centurion. You remember that? Uh, or his, his servant that was sick. And in that story, let me walk through this and then I'm going to get there. As, as he walks through that, the, the Jews found this centurion that had blessed him. He built him a, a synagogue. He had done things for them. But his, he had a child or a servant that was sick. And they knew, the Jews knew, that Jesus could heal. Now, wait a minute. This isn't the person of the household of faith, right? 
And so they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to come and we want you to heal. You, you need to come and touch this young man because this man has done something for us. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go. And so the story is, as Jesus makes their way, they let him know that, that you know, Jesus is coming. He's, when he finds out that Jesus is coming, he says something like this. He says, he said, no, I, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But all I need you to do is speak a word because I too am a man under authority. I say to one, come, he comes. I say to another, go, and he goes. And all I need you to do is send your word. And Jesus said this, I have not found such great faith. No, listen to what he said, no, not in Israel. And then he heals the guy. Now my question for you is, why did Jesus go? Did Jesus go to the man because of everything that he'd done to the, for the Jews? Or was that not the issue at all? Or was Jesus going to show this centurion his great love and power by coming and touching his loved one? And then we move from there that Jesus goes into to the northern part of the, of the land to a place called Nain. And he takes his disciples with him in verse 11. I've just got to walk through this and then I'll read a scripture. And when he comes near the gate, there's a, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of this mother. And she was a widow and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Then he touched the coffin, and those who carried him, uh, carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto you, arise. Again, this wasn't even a Hebrew that he is touching, but he is showing his great power to them. Why? He's revealing his life for them. And then it begins to talk about John the Baptist was imprisoned and such as that. And John sends his word. He said, I hear this Jesus is out there. And he sends his disciples to go. And, and Jesus, uh, he, said, he said, go see if this is him or another to come. And, and then Jesus said, go back and tell them that the blind see, the lame walk, uh, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the, have the gospel preached to them. And he said, blessed is he who is not offended of them. And then Jesus starts talking to these Jews about what was you expecting John to do? Because they're giving John a rough time that John came real strict and real strong. And he said, what did you come out to see? And even notice this in verse 29 of that chapter after Jesus spoke those things. He said, when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God or they put their approval. Having been baptized with John the Baptist and then... As it keeps walking, it comes down to this place. And Jesus said in verse 33, and I've written through all that to get to here. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, he has a demon. John didn't do any of the stuff that you're accusing me out of now. But listen to what Jesus, they did to Jesus. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look a glutton, a wine bibbler, a friend of a tax collectors and sinners. Now the accusations are out. Notice what it said. Keep that up right there. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton, a wine bibbler, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There couldn't have been anybody. I think the tax collectors still bad in our day. Hello. But there wasn't any worse than them in that day because they would take advantage of the people in huge, in huge, huge ways. But they were accusing Jesus. Wait a minute. You're a glutton. You're sitting down at their table. You're consuming everything they're consuming. You're drinking with them. And you're like one of them. You are a friend of sinners. So my question for you tonight is, if Jesus is a friend of sinners, what's your view, what's our view of Jesus? The sad note is, I believe most of the church, not everybody, but a lot, carry the view of these Pharisees and, these Pharisees and lawyers. 
The Pharisees were nothing more but the religious group, the good old boys of the church that were leading things. And everything they did, they, were, they would live, they would practice, or they would say everything about the law, even when they couldn't live it. But they would accuse everybody, and especially Jesus. They were very critical, very judgmental. My challenge for all of us in this room tonight, what is our view of Jesus? I'm afraid that most of it listening to the church of the day is really like the Pharisees. We're like the religious group of that day. How do you know that, Pastor? Listen to the conversations of people. We say stuff like this about the land. If God doesn't, if God doesn't judge America, if He doesn't judge this generation, He's going to have to repent to Sodom and Gomorrah. I probably said that. Well, pastor, that's true. That's why the Bible says, and Jesus said it, I didn't put judgment in your hands. I didn't call you to judge anybody but yourself. And he said, if you're going to judge something, you do have a right to judge in the sense of whether it's sin or whether it's not sin. But to bring condemnation and to condemn that individual is not within our hands. God said, I'm reserving judgment for me because most of us had already called down fire out of heaven. When he called in Matthew chapter 5, I believe it is, he he calls a disciple. His name is Levi. Let me see if I can find it real quick. And I know I got the wrong verse. It's the book of Luke chapter 5. I don't know why I put Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27, after these things, he went out and he saw a tax collector, Levi, named Levi, sitting at the tax office. And he said unto him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. And then Levi gave him a great feast in his house. And there were a great number of the tax collectors and others who had sat down with them. Man, Jesus was one loving dude to go sit down among all these people that were abusing the people. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, What do you do? Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Now listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus answered, he said, those are well, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call, call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those are the words of Jesus. I, I didn't come for the church to put ooey gooeys up and down your back. I come to save those that don't know me. I come to heal those that are lost in sin and don't realize how sick they really are. You know, most of us think like this. Well, pastor, we got to be led by the Spirit. Okay, let's take a look at that. Being led by the Spirit, what does it mean? See, we've got this idea, again, in service. That's the only place most time we want to do it, in service. Well, pastor, you be led by the Spirit this morning. I feel like I'm being led by the Spirit all the time. I'm seeking Him. I'm following Him with everything I have in me. But what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, it means that he's, we're going to follow His command. He's going to guide us and He's going to direct us in truth. But why did Holy Spirit come? Jesus said this before He passed away, or before He went into the heavens, before He ascended. He gave his disciples, he gave those that followed him a commission. It never changed. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the gospel. That's what he gave the commission. It has never, ever changed. And I want to challenge all of us in whatever we're doing, whatever we want to call revival, if the end result of that is not people's lives being changed, we're a little bit out of alignment with the scripture. Hello, Jesus gave them a commission. Then he said in Luke 24, 49, he said, Terry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, And you shall receive power after that. Am I in the right spot? You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost is come upon you for what? To be a witness of me. To who? To those that don't know me. 
That's the whole purpose of Holy Spirit filling our lives so that you and I are empowered. Matter of fact, uh, can I push it a little bit further? You know, most of the time, I want you to think about something. I told you I'm going to challenge your thoughts. Most people say, why don't we see more miracles in the church of America? Well, miracles are happening. But it does seem like more miracles are happening in third world countries than it does in America. And I've got an idea of something. Just my thoughts that I'm going to challenge you with to pray it through and look at it. We're wanting miracles. And Jesus said, I didn't do miracles just to do miracles. I did miracles to be a sign and to be a wonder to those that don't believe that if I open the blind eyes of one, then many will come to know me and follow me. Maybe the reason we're not seeing the power of God that we want to see is you and I don't necessarily need it. Even though I think I need a miracle, I'm still walking in faith. But there's people that don't even know who they are, doesn't even know Jesus. I saw a, 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 a clip the other day of Nathan Morris. I forget he was in South America somewhere, I believe it was. Uh, I can't remember exactly what country. And there were tens of thousands of people that was in that Colosseum. And literally tens of thousands of people come to know Jesus. Maybe, maybe our power encounters... Maybe our power encounters to see what God wants. God is waiting for you and I to get into the face of an unbeliever and tell them about his greatness and goodness and through us demonstrate his power so they have no question of his, of his goodness towards them and what he wants to do for them. I'm not saying he won't do miracles for us. I'm not saying, but it does kind of seem strange to me. That everything happens in these countries where idols and ungodliness and they're serving all kinds of gods under the sun. And a preacher will go in and begin to preach the goodness of God. And God never seems to fail to show his power to those people. And the moment he does, people come to know Jesus. You remember the story Donald Sims talked about when he went to the Sudan area. <coughs> Just a few months ago when Donald was here and the man that had been, uh, been under the curse of witchcraft and he's praying for this man and God, the man is it's revealed to, to, to the preacher. I don't know if it's Donald or somebody with him that, 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 you know, that he was involved in witchcraft and there was a curse buried and he spoke to that spirit in the, in the name of the Lord to go get and undig that thing that had been covered up. And when he brought it back, God set him free. But the impact beyond setting one man free went into the whole tribe because of the power of what Jesus demonstrated in one. So maybe our view, maybe our whole idea of our view of Jesus has to, has to change because either we see him, we see him as this judge. Sometimes that's all our message. If you don't get right, you're going to go to hell. If you don't get this straightened out, it may be true, but very few times does that really change anybody. But make them mad. And the idea of the world is right now is the church is judgmental and critical. So they want nothing to do with the church. i got to move on quickly. Are you okay? So then Jesus has to become the model. And what was the model? It's a friend. It's all through those three years of his ministry. Jesus was a friend to sinners. So what is a friend? We have to know that every one of us have a friend in this place. A friend is one that's accessible. He's one that is available. He, he doesn't look down. He, he doesn't look down or, or, or put down everybody or anyone. He sees value in the person he's around. If you don't find value in them, you won't get around anybody. You'll not be friends with somebody that you look down upon or you don't give value to. You won't become accessible. You won't even become available. But that's what friends do. There was a parable that Jesus spoke of a man that one night had already gone to bed. It's late at night and his neighbor had family come in unexpected and he doesn't have enough food. He knocks on the door. He said, hey, what do you want? I need some bread. I've got a family that's come in. And the Bible said, Jesus said, because he was a friend, he got up 
and he opened the door and he gave him bread so that he could take care of his guests. See, when you're a friend, you do things that you wouldn't do. You won't even cross the road at times for somebody you're not a friend to. But how many of us will go the extra mile when I see somebody I'm a friend to because I see value in everyone and that person matters to me that I get to visit with them. I read a story of a young girl. See, I ask questions like this in my mind. How does a Hebrew... How does Hebrews think friendship? Because in our Western mindset, we don't think like the Eastern mindset. So when I look things up and I'm searching, I'm asking questions like, how does Hebrews think about this? And so I read a story of a young girl that was 14 years old that come up in a foster home. And she had been put, put in school. And evidently, something happened in the home. She was sexually abused. She had to be taken out of that foster home. She had to be moved to another city, which means she had to transition from one school to another school. So she gets to this other school, and and she knows nobody there. And she's coming in to learn. She's coming in to make friends and everything else. So the principal of the school had just gotten word somehow they told him enough about what had happened to her. Uh, her social workers evidently told too much. He said I, he didn't, wasn't supposed to have known all that. His job was just to assimilate her in the middle of the year into this new school system. And so he gets her into the school system knowing nobody but because somebody in the school, one of the kids that had a friend that knew a friend that knew a friend that was in the school where she came from started a rumor and said that this 14-year-old girl had prostituted herself there is why she had to be moved. It was just a rumor. And that began to spread through the school. And the young girl goes to the principal and she says, Principal, this is not true. That did not happen. I'm not that. And nobody would have anything to do with this little girl on the basis of a rumor. Principal kept his eye on her because now this thing is spreaded like wildfire. And he comes into the lunchroom one day and he sees this little girl, 14 years old, sitting by herself. Nobody around her. She's eating lunch, but she's weeping while she's sitting there by herself. And he goes over to her. And he said, I think her name was Janet. He said, Janet, what's what's the problem? Why Why are you hurting so bad? She said, I have no one. She said, is there not anybody? I have not a friend. Is there nobody in this school that will be a friend to me? That wasn't true. She said, Principal, do you know of another girl that's just like me that doesn't have a friend? She said, I will be a great friend. I will be a best friend. I will be a friend that will stand with her. See, the story was telling about how The Hebrews value relationship because to be a friend isn't just something, hey friend, I look at you, wave at you, and I go by. Hebrews see friends as very valuable, as very needed, and they are very intimate in their relationships that they share their life. Matter of fact, friendship to a Hebrew is as close to a sexual relationship of intimacy that can happen without that act happening in it. That's how they viewed friendship. So we got to understand what being a friend is. Jesus valued everyone. Jesus didn't look down on anyone. He, he, He assessed, he gave value. He was available. He was accessible. He went to their neighborhoods. He spent time with them. He got to see what was in their world. He really talked to them. You know, it's what I said. Really talked to them. I heard a young man say something about another young man recently. I'll just leave it like that. And it was dealing with ministers and his young guys. And he said, man, I really like that guy. I really like that guy. But he said, I have one problem. 
He said, when we're together, the only thing he wants to do is talk preacher talk. He doesn't know just how to talk. Or we haven't had that conversation to say, hey, I like ball. I like to fish. I like to hunt. We don't know how to engage in just a simple conversation. Not everybody's as deep as you are. I'm sorry. And a lot of the people, the reason they don't want to get around you sometimes isn't, isn't because they don't like you. Is that you're not interested enough in their world to find out what's going on with them. Okay, I'm getting deep. Are you okay? And here you and I need to understand about Jesus. Remember, they're accusing him. Being a friend to sinners doesn't mean that Jesus compromised his standards. Not at all. Nor does it mean he participated in their ways. Nor does it mean that he gave approval to what they were doing. He cared enough to get to know the people. I remember when I used to work for the power company years ago. I'm a young 18-year-old kid right out of high school, went to work for the Powers Company. I got to spend eight years there before I started pastoring or actually well, I'd done it while I pastored. I, was only, I pastored, I think, two or three years while I was working there. And every year at hunting season, which is around the middle of August, squirrel season came in in Paducah, West, uh, in Kentucky. All the guys would go down to Ballard County Bottoms for the weekend and camp which was really nothing more but a big beer-drinking party. They weren't really interested in hunting, but that was the excuse to go. And, man, they would go. The guys would take off the day before, and some of them would go down and set up tents and set up camp, and, man, they were barbecuing everything under the sun. They had put bologna logs out on, the, out on the, uh, the pit. They were grilling those. They were grilling burgers. They were, I mean, they had all kinds of food out there. And they would stay out there, and big part of them drank the whole time they were there. They told stories. They'd sit around. Maybe one or two would go hunting. I never went. I didn't go. thought, that's not my lifestyle. It's not my world. So after I'd started working, and they put me on a line crew, I've told you about those guys. They were pretty vile. It was, again, that time of year, we're going to go hunting. They're going to go to the bottoms. And one of the most, I'd say the most vile, the most ungodly, in my mind, how I was brought up, guys came to me and said, why don't you come down? I said, dude, that's not my world. He said, look, go get you a six-pack of Pepsi. Or whatever you drink. He said, come down with us. And these are his words. He said, you would be a far greater light to us and influence. By coming, setting down with us. Than you would by staying away from us. And from that moment, I never stopped going after that. And when it got too rough and the language got too much more than I wanted to handle. And the beer got flowing more than I wanted to see. I decided to leave. But I can tell you the impact that came after that, that I had guys that would come to me and they would say periodically, I need you to talk to the man upstairs for me. I, I need you to do this. I, I never will forget one of, my, one of our guys. I may have told this before. It's been a long time, I think. One of the guys, his name was Ugly George. That wasn't his real name. It was a nickname, by the way. And Ugly George was a heathen, a womanizer, a drinker. I, I mean, Ugly George was, I, I mean... You know, he'd done some terrible stuff. And, and you know, as guys out on the line crew, Tom, you would understand this. You know, we talked about everything under the sun on the job. While we're out there, I, I mean, there were days they would curse me like, you know, a sailor. And then there were days they'd tell me to pray for them. And we had conversation. One day I remember a conversation was about guns. I didn't have any. And, and they were all talking about the guns they had. And I said, you know what, I'd just like to have a pistol. You know, to go shoot cans or something. That's all I said. Just simple thing like that. And we let it go. And I went on. Well, after I, after I decided my days were up at the power company and I was going to go full-time with the church, it wasn't long, just maybe within months, it wasn't very long after I get a knock on my door one day at my house. And it was Ugly George. And Ugly George came to me and he said, I never give anything to the church. But he said, I want to give you something. 
And ugly George brought me a pistol. It wasn't an expensive pistol. It was a Walmart pistol. You know what I believe ugly George was saying to me? Pastor, I heard you. And I believe it was a part of ugly George making peace in his heart with Jesus. Because it wasn't but a few months after that, ugly George had a major heart attack and went to be with the Lord. But I'll never forget that moment. And you never know the impact that you're making. And you know what? I listened to all their stuff. We got involved in all their stuff. But we have to realize you you don't have to compromise your standards. You don't have to agree with them. You just got to care enough about people to let them know you care about them. Listen, the more that you want to become like Jesus, the closer you get to Him, the more you're going to begin to feel His heart for those that are without. I'm confident of that. I'm confident. I, remember, I, I really believe revival is bringing us back to our real purpose of what we're supposed to do. So Jesus is our model. Here's the third thing you need to know. I hope, this, I hope that all this is making sense. If you're going to follow Jesus, I believe he's going to make you very uncomfortable. We get uncomfortable in church, but I don't think that's the uncomfortableness that he's bringing us to. I never even thought about this until I began to look at this and begin to study this stuff out. What Jesus did with his disciples when he said, follow me. And every bit of the way, he took them all the time out of their comfort zone to meet another people, another person or a group of people that wasn't like them. Think about this in the book of John uh, chapter 4. You've heard the story about the woman of the well. It starts out like this, that Jesus goes from Galilee to Jericho. And, and Jesus says this, I must needs go through, or he was going to Jerusalem. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. I must need go through Samaria. Why was that so important to go through Samaria? Because Samaria, Samaria, the Samaritans were an off-limit group of people to those Hebrews, to the Jews. They had no dealings with each other. But Jesus said, guys, you're coming with me and I'm going to take you into the place that you don't feel like you're comfortable in. And it was there that Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. You know, I, boy, I'm getting myself in real trouble here, but I think I'm going to throw it out there anyway. I'm already waiting. Jesus said we would speak with new tongues. I believe in this heavenly language. I pray in it a lot. You hear me, and I do it a lot through the day. And I do it a lot, a lot all the time. But I believe there's another part of that that Jesus does. That new tongue is to give you the ability to communicate to a people that you don't have anything in common with. But the Holy Spirit will speak through you and allow you to have a conversation that will be touching their heart and spirit. If we let him. Wow, y'all are very quiet. He gave them a command. At another time in the book of, of Luke, he gave them a command to go across the sea to the place of the gatherings, to a demoniac that was there, that Jesus, he said, get in the ship, we're going to go. From Galilee, we're going to go to the other side. We're going to get, in our, we're gonna get in our, out of our comfort zone. And I'm going to take you to some people that the devil is working over real good because I want you to know I care about them. Man, it's hard for me. I told you about a guy that I seen recently on Facebook. Maybe you did. He's over in England. I'm glad he's not here because he had freaked me out. I'll be honest. If I saw him on the street. But he thinks he's an alien. So he has completely, he has completely tatted his body, altered things, cut his ears off, cut his nostrils out. He's got more piercings than you probably got bobby pins and things at home. And, and I mean, and then he wonders, the, the article is about the restaurants won't let him come in. And I wonder why. Man, to be honest, I would say personally, 
I don't think it would take a rocket scientist to figure this out. But I believe a person doing that is a person that is being driven by a demonic spirit. And he's trying to find an identity that he doesn't know who he is. And you know what? Even though he's like that, I got news for you. Jesus still cares for him. So he took, the, he took the disciples and he said, let's go. I'm going to take you into the place where the world, and I want to tell you, there's a lot of people out there that is under the guise. They may not be demon-possessed, but they're under the control of spirits that are leading them and guiding them. And you and I will shake their head and say they need deliverance. That may be true, but we've got to get to them first in order to present and be able to bring deliverance to their lives. He went to another time. He takes them to a Gentile city in the northern part of the country to the woman at name. I read her story a while ago. A widow woman that was so desperate because her son had just died, but Jesus cared enough. I'm taking you into a place that you're not comfortable to be in. He takes his disciples to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. You know the story. Matthew chapter 6. Or Matthew chapter 16. To the coast of Caesarea Philippi where all kinds of pagan worship was going on. Because he cared. He wanted his disciples to see. I know it's going on. Do you think it caught Jesus by surprise? That was the place. That was the place that Jesus said, who do men say that I am? But notice this. It was also the place that Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church right here in the midst of all these crazies. He cared enough about the people. I want to tell you, I believe we're going to get uncomfortable. We're going to get uncomfortable. I believe if we're really being led by the Spirit, He's going to lead us to things, but we're going to have a boldness. It's hard to imagine. It's going to make me uncomfortable in one way, but I'm going to have a boldness to be able to minister to those because I'm going to act like Jesus and I'm going to be a friend to sinners. I may be in the wrong house teaching tonight. I don't know. Why did he do this? Why did Jesus do this? Please hear me, church. Why did Jesus do this? I want to tell you why. Because people matter to God. People matter. If you don't hear anything I say tonight, I want you to get that statement and one more. And you need to write this down right now. People matter to God. Your worst enemy matters to God. The pedophile matters to God. The transgender matters to God. The drug addict matters to God. The addicted, the murderer, I could keep going on. Everybody matters to God. Here's the second thing you need to write down. There is no one off limits from God's grace. Thank you Jesus. No one is off limits. Listen, you realize something? You may have not done anything. You and I may have not done anything. The people that we think out there is so wicked and vile. But when God looked at us. Before Christ. We were all in the very same category. All sinners that needed His grace. We're saved by grace. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. But Jesus gave it to us because people matter. If you and I are really going to follow Jesus in this hour, I really believe this church. Listen. I believe this church is being poised for the greatest harvest we've ever seen. I believe it. You may not feel it. You may not think it. But I'm doing my best to follow what I believe Jesus is saying. And you're going to have to get ready to disciple people. Not through a, not through a program. But friends get intimate with each other. Sometimes we go in a class and we still don't know each other. I've watched this church over and I'm challenging us to be bigger and better. 
There's been times over the years, I hadn't seen it in a while, but over the years I'd say on a Sunday morning, I want you to get out of your seat, go greet somebody you hadn't seen yet, say hello to them. And I've watched why we've had visitors sitting in the pew. I've watched many of us sitting in this room walk right by them to go visit somebody you've already talked to 15 minutes prior. And that person sitting there, huh, these people must not care. The proven fact is about most churches, people are making up their mind in the first 10 minutes whether they're ever going to come back again. Thank God. Why do you thank God? Because it's not based on whether I preach good or not. It's not even based whether it's our worship team done a good job. It's not even based on whether our nursery. You know, it's based, it was based upon how they felt they were received when they walked into the room. And I'm challenging us in this hour. If we're going to follow Jesus, it means every person matters to God. I may not like everybody, but because I don't like them doesn't mean that they still don't matter to God. Every body matters. You never, listen, I just got some statements. You'll never meet a person God doesn't love. Never. Never. Will you ever meet a person God doesn't love? You'll never see a person so far away God can't reach them. Oh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. I got a nephew that's so far out there right now. I mean, he's way out there right now. But I know that I know that God's loving arm can go further than even what my faith or what my prayer is. There's not one person that's gotten so far away from God that God can't reach them. Boy, you really need to understand this one. The people who need Him the most isn't necessarily going to show up on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. That's why he's saying, I need you to be a friend to sinners. Because they're not showing up. We went out to the park the other day, Sunday afternoon. I thought I was going to be like 22 again. And I went out to the park with the young adults and it's got this new game called Pickleball. Anybody ever played it? It's fun. There was a lot of guys like you play that. Maybe we ought to start a league. Come on. So we're out there. And my, uh, there was a couple that was playing with our guys. I didn't know. But the way they got there was, was through my daughter-in-law, Alexis, and Maverick. Because they're playing at a playground somewhere. And Maverick finds a buddy. And so moms start talking. And they become friends. And they'll have dates together where they'll meet and take the boys or the kids and just let them play. So they told them we were playing pickleball. So they came out among us to play pickleball. Now, I don't know what came up in the conversation, but somebody said, they said, well, we're not religious. Nobody bothered that. But everybody involved them into the pickleball game had as much fun with them as they had with anybody. They were quite good. Better than me. But it was an engagement that began to happen. Sometimes the people that need Jesus the most isn't walking. I'm here looking to see what you people do. No. And many times we're asking people that's already got a church. Do you know that most, I don't get excited when I hear churches exploding overnight. Because I tell you what's usually happening. 99% of the time it's just transitional growth. It's people that decide, hey, there's something better over there. So I think I'm going to leave here because they have more excitement. I'm going to go there. And so here's what's happening in the body of Christ. We just keep shifting this thing around. I'm not saying in every case. But in most cases it's true. It's just transitional growth. But where is that growth, that real harvest that we've gotten out? We've won the lost and we're bringing them in. And that's why, listen, church, oh, I'm going to get in a place here. We Pentecostals can't stand the seeker friendlies. And we missed it. 
Well, they don't let Holy Ghost move in that place. Are you sure? Are you sure? Have you been there to see? Or is that just something you've heard? I'm not saying all of them don't. Some of them relegate Holy Ghost. I've said the same things to the back room. But their real intent in the middle of it is to see that person come in and receive Christ. Never will forget one of the first seeker churches I heard about years ago was Willow Creek in Chicago. Willow Creek was so big that they would rent the auditorium that the Chicago Bulls to play uh, basketball in. They would rent it for Easter Sunday. Him and John Maxwell is doing a conference over in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I'm listening to Bill Hybels. I'm a Pentecostal boy. These were in the early days of, you know, when I was just pastoring. And I went to find out something about leadership and how to preach and all that. I don't guess I paid attention too well, but I went anyway. And Maxwell is preaching or teaching. And Maxwell starts talking, or not Maxwell, but Brother Hybels. And he starts talking like this. He said, let me tell you about the little lady in my church that came to me. And he said, Brother, Brother Hybels, I finally did it. I finally did it. What would you do? She said, I won my entire row. I filled it with totally devoted followers of Jesus. The entire row. And I promise you the role in their church was probably bigger than any of these rows put together. That was her goal, her dream. I wanted to feel it. I don't want to sit alone. I'm going to feel it with people that don't know Jesus. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wait a minute. And I hadn't hardly had anybody bring anybody to church. We're having a good time, but I still got empty chairs and nobody even talks like that in my church. Then he started talking about the single moms that's raising two or three children. And he said, they're getting ready to go on a mission trip. And they're going to serve in the slums of the Philippines or Haiti or wherever they were going. They're going to do it for about a week. And he said, here, these single moms are working two or three jobs and trying to raise their own family. They're not asking anybody to give them anything. But they got this passion that they want to go touch a people that don't know Jesus. I'm thinking, wait a minute. I don't have anybody doing that. I don't have anybody doing that. I'm Pentecostal. We believe in having a good time. But I didn't have anybody doing that. If they're going to go, Pastor, could you take a special offering to help me go to the Philippines? That's how Pentecostals work. And then he said, he said, I got people lined up to serve in our church. On waiting list. He said, if you go to our vacuum cleaning closet, it looks like an indie race car garage. Belts and wheels and motors. And he said, we got, and he said, we've got a waiting list of people that are just willing to serve. We want to serve Jesus in some form. And I thought, none of my people did that. I did it. I'm Pentecostal, filled with the Holy Ghost, on fire for God. Man, y'all look at me real strange. But you see, a lot of times we're coming against something we don't even have a clue about. We don't even know. We're criticizing every movement under the sun, and we've never went there. And really, Joel Osteen, bless his heart. I hope he's watching my program tonight. I'll come preach for you, buddy. He takes more criticism than any pastor or preacher I've ever heard. Huh. He doesn't preach it straight enough. He doesn't preach hell hot enough. He do, you, you know how it is. He just smiles all the time and he wants you to feel good. And he does. Because Jesus does. And I don't know how many people I've heard that wouldn't dawn my church or your church or wherever movement we would have, but they've watched him in a hotel room. or they're what? I just heard somebody sharing this testimony with me just yesterday. It come up and they were telling me about their parents. Man, they were watching him and they were totally transformed by the message that God was doing through their life. Well, you're just not preaching hell hot enough or they would be getting saved. Listen, church, I believe the people that need him the most isn't here in our church. And somehow, if we're going to see them turn to Jesus, we got to go get them. 
I want to give you three things real quick. And I want you to look at this parable. And i got to land my jet because my time is over. I want you to go to the book of Luke 15. Jesus speaks a parable. Or, or, well, I'm going to lie to you again. I've got to do two things. First of all, how, how do we do this? Maybe that's a better thing. Go with me first to John chapter 4, that story. And I'm not going to read it. I'll just tell you. It's the story of the woman at the well. And remember that the disciples came to Jesus as he gets to the well and said, Hey, aren't you hungry? We are. We're going to go get something to eat. You want us to bring you something? Jesus says something like this. I got meat to eat that you don't even know of. I got something that satisfies me far more than just putting it in my belly. That's basically what he's saying. So he has this encounter with this strange woman. He shouldn't even been talking to her. Or she conversing with him. But Jesus didn't mind. You know the story. He walks through this whole story. And he reveals, he, he, he reveals her. He reads her. And he still doesn't condemn her. But then his disciples come back and said, Master, you need to eat. And that's where he said, you know, I've got meat to eat you know not of. And then this is what Jesus said. He said, guys, lift up your eyes. For the fields are ripe unto harvest. Here's the first thing for you being a friend. You need to look around at, your, at the sphere of your world. Of the people that you have influence with. Your family, your friends. You need to lift up your eyes and look at them. Well, Pastor, I've tried it before. You don't know what God's doing with them. You don't know what God's doing with them. But keep looking. They're there. They're there. And then once you see them, Jesus just gave them an illustrated sermon. Become a friend to them. Sometimes that's the best thing that I can do is slowly win them. If they're not going to hear me straight on, then I need to be wise enough and sharp enough and I need to just say, I'm going to befriend them. I'm going to love them with the love of Jesus. I'm going to saturate them in prayer. You know what? Part of the discipleship making thing that they're going to be doing at Ken Strong's that Brother uh, O'Neill was talking about is they're going to give you a little bit of scripture. They're going to teach you how to find a person that will just open her heart up and listen to you for a few moments. And then you're going to simply ask the question, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? And it's going to make them think because they've got to give an answer to you. And if they don't, remember Jesus went in he told his disciples, he said, find a house of peace. And the house that opens up lets you in. Let your peace come upon the house. But if it doesn't open, you shake the dust off your feet. I've, I've used this many times, but I feel like that's as much for you. Get that stuff off of you because it'll stop you if you feel rejected. If you feel rejected, you won't go to the next door. You won't look for the next person. That's why Jesus said, get it off of you. Shake it off quick. Because all of us, none of us like rejection. Now I want you to go real quickly to the book of Luke 15. I'm closing down right now. Luke chapter 15, a parable. Then all the tax collectors and sinners, verse 1, drew near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The audacity that Jesus would do that. Set at their table. And eat with them. So he spoke this parable to them saying. What man of you having a hundred sheep. If he loses one of them. Does not leave the ninety nine in the wilderness. And go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it. He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home. He calls together his friends and neighbors saying. Rejoice for me for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise, there is more joy in heaven. Notice, you want to know what heaven gets excited about? There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 who stayed in the church. I didn't say that. Jesus did. So what's the point of the parable? Here it is. Even the one mattered. Even the one mattered. It mattered to the shepherd. He had 90, had 90. He could have, he didn't need him. He had more sheep. They were going to produce more sheep, but it mattered to that shepherd. Look at the next parable. 
Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses a coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. And when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors to come to rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say to you, listen, you want to know what gets the angels excited? Read it. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. What's the principle of the story? Each one is valuable. Each one is valuable. It's valuable to God. It's valuable to us. You may not believe it, but they're more valuable than you realize. Here's the last one. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And I won't read all of this story, but I'll paraphrase it. I love this story. A man, very wealthy man that had evidently a great plot of land and houses and wealth. His two boys and servants and all that. And his youngest son gets a comes to that place of age said, Dad, I think I'm ready to make it on my own. Give me my inheritance and let me go live. And father releases his inheritance. You know what? Inheritance usually doesn't come until somebody dies. Right? But he said, I'll give it to you. And the young man went and lived thinking he knew how to live. Only you know the story that he winds up in a pig lot feeding the swine. And he said, these guys are doing better than I am. At least they're getting filled. They're getting full, and all I get is crumbles, enough just to satisfy a little bit of hunger that I have. And he starts thinking about Father's house. At least in my Father's house, the servants eat bread. The only thing that he can think about the moment is his belly. That's all he can think about. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And he said, at least the servants eat bread. And they get their feel of it. I think I'll go back to Father's house and become a servant. And he walks his way out of the, out of the pig lot and begins to head to Father's house to come up to the hill just before the farm. The only to his amazement, he sees Father looking up the hill. And his father sees the son, their eyes catch. And father, I believe, begins to run and make his way to the son. And he begins to shout, my son whom is lost is now come home. He's been found. And he gives a command. Father didn't even wait. Father runs and he grabs him and he hugs him and kisses him on his neck in the midst of all the dirt. He says, nowhere in the story do you find Father condemning him. I told you, son, it wasn't going to work out. Nowhere do you find it. But Father loves him. He said, bring the coat, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the shoes. My son that is lost has come home. He's been found. He said, now let's kill the fatted calf, a calf that had been set aside for a special moment. He said, let's kill it. Let's party. And you know the rest of the story. Here's the whole value. Here's the, here's the meaning of the story. The father truly loved the son. And I believe those are three principles that you and I are going to have to look at and grab hold of in this moment. Is that everybody matters. Everybody has value. And everybody is loved and needs love. Sometimes what they need more than any is somebody to show it. And that's what we are as a church. Jesus is a friend to sinners. And if I'm going to model Jesus, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, if I'm going to do what Jesus does, Pastor, am I missing this? Then I've got to do what Jesus did. I believe the miracles and the supernatural that we're all believing right now is in the encounter of those that don't know Jesus. I believe that's why you've heard it. We're going to see more things happen in the streets and homes than we've ever seen in the church. I believe our church ought to be the place of rejoicing. 
the place that we're sharing the testimonies. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me, what I, I encountered him this week. But instead, we've made the church the place. I'm going to get pastor and I'm going to get a few leaders and they're going to do the work and they'll get them saved when the intent is that all of us in this room are going to be friends of sinners and we're going to see this harvest come in. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray tonight in the name of Jesus for every one of us in this room. God, I pray tonight that, God, I know I've been, as I've looked through this message, as you have stirred my heart, I, I pray tonight, Father, that each of us in this room would take a real look at ourselves. God, I know that we've all got different passions and we've all got different things that we're looking for and we're believing for. And that may be true and that is so good, but none of us are exempt. God, I believe from just being friend to those that don't know you, to give them value, to give them worth, and to let them know they matter to God and that they are greatly loved. I pray, God, that you would put a revival in each one of us. Lord, that everywhere we go, God, people, People are following us. They delight in being around us. Oh, Jesus, I ask that tonight. That, God, we find ourselves in engaging the lost in a way we never dreamed that we could. But that we would see a great following begin to follow, bringing them in. They're coming to know you. And, God, as they come to know you, you're going to set them free. You're going to heal them. God, you're going to touch them in ways we can't imagine. You're going to fill them with their spirit. And they're going to go and they're going to tell others as well. God, stir a real revival in us beyond what we've ever known. That is going to transform the lives of everybody we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, everybody. Good night.